You're listening to a Mango Languages podcast. Now let me hear you read your line. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. And I can't stand him. Can't. 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 If you're diving into the fascinating world of speech sounds, then one of your first stops has to be learning about a very fun and important tool called the IPA. That's the International Phonetic Alphabet. In today's episode, you're going to learn about what the IPA is and how to use it. Said the sloth. And for those of you who might not know me yet, I'm Emily. I have long been fascinated by language, so much so that I went and got my PhD in linguistics. And now I get to share all that information that I've learned about how language works with you. Now, to start, if you missed our primer episode on how speech sounds work, that's the fundamentals of speech sounds, here are two quick terms that you need to know for this episode. First, the name of the scientific study of speech sounds is phonetics. And two, the people who study phonetics are called phoneticians. Now, if you want to know more about phonetics, phoneticians, or fun facts about your speech stream, then go back and listen to that primer episode, which we've linked for you in the description. Otherwise, onward we go. Okay, so what is the International Phonetic Alphabet? Well, in the most basic sense, it's literally a single sheet of paper. Now, more specifically, it's a common set of symbols an alphabet, if you will, for representing all the possible sounds that could exist across human languages. The main takeaway is this. If you can make a sound with your mouth, the IPA has a unique symbol to represent it. For example, the click sounds that you make with your tongue, like the IPA has a symbol for those. Sid the Sloth's iconic Sid the Sloth sound from the movie Ice Age. Doesn't anyone love me? Isn't there anyone who cares about Sid the Sloth? The IPA has a symbol for that. The sound that you make to imitate a lawnmower? Yeah, the IPA has a symbol for that too. And fun fact, even though we don't use those sounds in English, those are all real sounds used in the phonetic systems of other languages. Clicks, for example, are very common in African languages. The sound is used in Icelandic. The which is my personal favorite, is used in several Papua New Guinea languages. And in addition to having unique symbols for each of those sounds, the IPA provides us with clear technical terms by which to understand them. For example, the my personal favorite sound, is called a voiced bilabial trill. And by the end of this episode, you'll have a much clearer sense for how IPA symbols get their technical names. So when I talk about the IPA with my students, I like to frame it as the main tool in every newbie phonetician's toolkit, because it gives us the symbols that we need to represent the sounds we want to make. Now, the IPA is obviously helpful to professional phoneticians, but it's also quite useful for any curious mind who wants to be able to read the phonetic transcriptions in the dictionary or for language learners who want to better understand how to make specific sounds in their target language. And here's some really good news. If you already know written English, 
then you're actually already halfway there to understanding IPA. That's because while the IPA does rely on a lot of Greek letters and other symbols that you might be unfamiliar with, it does use most of the letters from the English alphabet. So what do you really need to know about the IPA in order to start reading and writing it? Well, like I said earlier, the IPA is but one single sheet of paper, but there is a lot of information on it. So where do you start? Well, the two places that you should start are the consonant chart and the vowel map. Those are your keys to understanding the IPA. Everything else is like icing on the cake. So you have consonants and vowels. Consonants are sounds like ba, da, ga, pa, ta, ka, while vowels are sounds like a, a, e, o, u. Now let's start with the consonant chart. And hey, if you're at home and you're able to safely take a peek at the IPA sheet, which we've linked in the description, pull it up while you listen. But if you're driving or unable to look at the sheet right now, don't worry. You'll be able to understand everything as I walk us through it together. The consonant chart is simply a table made up of a bunch of columns and rows with the IPA symbols in them. The columns are organized by where in your mouth touching needs to happen in order to make that sound. We call this the place of articulation. And as you move from left to right on the consonant chart, the place of articulation within your mouth moves from the front to back. For example, the leftmost column contains bilabial sounds, which require touching at the very front of the mouth. You can often tell from the name where the touching needs to happen. For example, bilabial literally means two lips. So the consonants that belong to the bilabial category include sounds like b, p, m, and my favorite sound, brr. Now, all the way at the rightmost column, you'll see the label glottal sounds. These are sounds that require touching to happen at the very back of the mouth, almost in the throat. And this includes sounds like ha and ha. In this way, the consonant charts actually organize in a pretty user-friendly way. Okay, so we know that the columns indicate the place of articulation in the mouth. The rows indicate the manner of articulation. What do I mean by manner? The manner of articulation has to do with the manner in which your articulators in your mouth modify the airflow in your vocal tract. For example, the first row in the consonant chart is labeled plosives. The term plosive refers to the sounds that constrict your airflow completely. In layman's terms, it means your mouth is closed. Plosives, which include sounds like p, t, g, are sounds that start with your mouth closed and end with a burst of airflow being released all at once. Just like the word burst. Now, and if we go a few rows down, you'll see a row for trills. And trills are sounds like the Spanish ra, or my lawnmower sound, where a repetitive sound happens in quick succession. Earlier, I told you that my favorite sound is called the voiced bilabial trill. You now know that bilabial refers to the place of articulation, meaning both lips touching, and trill refers to the manner of articulation meaning the lips touch multiple times in quick succession. But what does voiced mean? Well, it has to do with your vocal cords and whether or not they're vibrating. So if a consonant is voiced, that means your vocal cords are vibrating. If the consonant is voiceless, they're not vibrating. You can test this yourself right now by touching your throat while you say v, which is a voiced consonant, and f which is a voiceless consonant. 
Wow, now you know how the voiced bilabial trill gets its technical name. And you also now have everything you need to start exploring the consonant chart on your own. But before you do that, let's take a second to talk about vowels. There is a lot of cool stuff to know about vowels, but we're gonna just go over the basics. Now, the main thing you should take away is that the vowel map is organized literally by the location of your tongue in your mouth. For example, the higher, vertically, a vowel is on the vowel map, that means the higher your tongue needs to be in your mouth to make that vowel sound. So high vowel sounds like E and U require the tongue to be higher up in the mouth than, say, low vowels like E and A. And the further right that the vowel is on the map, that means the further back horizontally your tongue needs to be in your mouth to produce that vowel sound. For example, vowels on the left side of the vowel map, like E and A, require the tongue to be further at the front of my mouth compared to vowels on the right side of the map, like U or O. And you probably already know this, but it's worth mentioning that not all languages have the same organization or even number of vowels within their vowel system. Every language has its own way of dividing up the possible sounds of human speech. This goes for consonants as well as vowels. Well, my friends, there you have it. From clicks to trills, consonant charts to vowel maps, we covered a lot of ground. And the main takeaway that you should be leaving with is that the IPA is a very special piece of paper that with just a little studying, you can use to unlock the speech sounds to all of the world's languages. And now that you've finished the episode, I hope you have a clearer understanding of what the IPA is and how to use it. Thanks for listening. And if you liked the episode, please let us know by subscribing to the podcast. Also, if you have an idea for an episode that you'd like to hear from us, let us know. We're always listening. Oh, and last thing, we have created a bunch of cool free resources for you on today's topic, which you can access through the link in the description. They include a cheat sheet to help you remember everything we covered in the episode and a deciphering the IPA worksheet to help you explore and practice using the IPA yourself. And now you might be wondering what's coming up next in this series. Well, in this episode, we talked about individual speech sounds, but what happens when we put those speech sounds together? Well, if that piques your curiosity, then don't miss our next episode in this series, where we'll be diving into the exciting topic of phonology, what it is and why it matters. All of that and more next time on Adventures in Language. Bye.